glorious Princess Firefly. You dead burn fool. You missed the whole day at the county fair. It didn't have any idea that it was a car. And it didn't know that it was supposed to win. And so it did. It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers, from tall tales to fairy tales to personal tales to historical tales and mythological tales and more. And, of course, we bring it to you just about every day. You can find us online at byuradio.org slash appleseed or Google the Appleseed podcast and subscribe for something new just about every day on the Appleseed. And we're talking not only about the full hour-long episodes of The Appleseed, like the one that we're firing up right now. But we're also talking about little episodes. We call them Appleseed Extras for when you've just got a few minutes and you want to fill those few minutes with a great story. You can take us with you on your mobile device uh, for a great story just about wherever you are in those little Appleseed Extras. And again, you can find them in the podcast. And of course, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories for you that you can share with the people that you love. And today, the memories that may be sparked for you might be memories of the most outlandish, ludicrous, unbelievable situations you've ever been in. It's an hour filled with that kind of thing today. Did you ever find yourself in situations so outlandish or ludicrous or unbelievable that all you could do was laugh? Well, it starts with the first time a bug flew up your nose. Anything like that ever happened to you? Or, or the day you see your 90-year-old grandma disco dancing in the kitchen. Anything like that ever happened to you? And suddenly it's the day you see pigs fly. Anything? Well, all right. Maybe you haven't seen pigs fly yet. But you've surely experienced some wacky stuff that leaves you just chuckling. And we want to celebrate some of that stuff with you today as we tell of beetles who become bug brides and stories of the Pinewood Derby and the multitude of things that you can do with a dead herring and even a story about how something called Sodi Saluratus saved a family from disaster. You're going to hear all of that today from storytellers like Diane Edgecombe and Tim Lowry and Bill Lepp and Doug Elliott and more. Some of those stories may already be favorites of yours and others may be favorites by the time we get done with the hour. And we're going to begin with a story from Diane Edgecombe. Now, not too long on the show, we brought you a story called Patty Saurus from Diane Edgecombe, a story about a girl who turns into a dinosaur. And this story is from that very same collection, that Patty Saurus collection of stories. However, this one is a story of a recently transformed beetle who mistakes herself for a firefly. And upon her coming of age, this bug is made to choose a suitor for marriage. And each passing suitor comes with a strange set of quirks, and none quite meets her requirements. That is until the bug of her dreams comes along. Get a good laugh out of Diane's delightful voices in her telling of this story called Princess Firefly here on The Appleseed. Little glowworm Little glowworm Where is that little lover? Old King Lampyridae Beetle had been searching for his daughter Little Glowworm both high and low, but he couldn't find her anywhere. Little glow. 
Now, where could she be? She said she was tired of being a larva, said she wanted to grow up, and then she went and disappeared in a hole in the ground somewhere. I mean, I don't understand what's going on. But just then, out of the swampy ground crawled a beetle with a glowing light. Little Glowworm wasn't Little Glowworm anymore. Hello, Father. Oh, Little Glowworm. No, Father, you mustn't call me Little Glowworm anymore. You must call me Princess Firefly. Princess Firefly? But you're not a fly, you're a beetle. We've all been Lampyridae beetles as far back as I can remember with these hard boom, boom, boom exterior wing cases now. You are a beetle. Yes, but Ladybug calls herself a bug and she's really a beetle. I don't care what the bugs are doing. That's a different family. Now, you are a beetle. Firefly beetle, firefly beetle, firefly stop. You are a beetle. Firefly beetle, firefly beetle, firefly stop. You are a beetle. Firefly beetle, firefly beetle, stop. All right, all right, all right. You can call yourself a firefly, but you're really a beetle. Oh, all right. Now come back to our home in the bark of the trees. So King Lampyridae Beetle and his daughter Princess Firefly flew back to their home in the bark of the tree. Well, dear Princess Firefly, <laughs> now that you're all grown up and plumped out, there will be lots of insect suitors coming, asking for one of your legs in marriage. And when they get here, don't just say yes. Send them on a quest. Or something. All right, Father. Well, news of Princess Firefly's luminous beauty spread far and wide, and many insect suitors came looking for one of those skinny little legs in marriage. But when they arrived, where was Princess Firefly? Waiting for them in her home in the bark of the trees? No. She'd flown down to the middle of the lawn and was sitting on a blade of grass looking up at the starry skies. <laughs> Dear me, whatever shall I do? I know Father will be coming soon with some of those insect suitors and if I don't like them, whatever shall I do? I know. I'll tell them... <laughs> Princess Firefly, I have been searching for you high and low. Oh, it's Father. Yes, it is, and I have brought for you a handsome suitor, Felonius Moth. Felonius, put forth your proposition. Ew, Princess Firefly, I've been searching for you everywhere, attracted by you from miles around by your glowing abdomen. <laughs> and now that I've fluttered here, oh, I can see that your beauty is almost as great as mine. <laughs> Dear Princess Firefly, will you marry me? Uh, no! <laughs> 
dear Princess Firefly, I don't believe you understand. I'm a young, upwardly mobile insect. Now just say yes. Mm, no! Princess Firefly, now why don't you consider Felonius? He happens to be very well connected. He is only failing as far as I can see is that he has a slight addiction to wool. Ew. I was hoping he wouldn't mention that. Oh, all right, Felonius. If you can bring to me the thing I love the most, if you can bring to me the cool, bright light of the stars, then I'll consider you. Oh, the light of the stars. I can do that. I can do that. I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. I think I can do it. So off flew Felonius Moth, trying to get the light of the stars for Princess Firefly, but ew, they were too high. Ew, they were much too high. Ew, he couldn't reach them at all, but ew. Just then he saw the light of a campfire. Good. He decided to bring Princess Firefly the light of the campfire. Good. But when he flew close to the campfire, ew, the light of the campfire was rather hot. Wow! That campfire is very hot. Wow! That campfire is much too hot. And wow! That night, Felonius Moth got quite toasted. But the next night... Where was Princess Firefly? Sitting on a blade of grass, looking up at the starry skies. Oh, heavens above, who will be the bug that I will love? Someone warm, someone wonderful, someone modest, like me. Princess Firefly! Oh, it's Father. Yes, it's me. And not only me, because I have brought for you a suitor. Well, actually, two suitors. Miss your mosquito and Miss your gnat. I am Miss your mosquito. I am Miss your gnat. How do you do? How do you do? You look great. You look great. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Dear Princess Firefly, we have come to marry you together. Because we are so skinny, we thought the two of us would make one of you. Marry us, Princess Firefly. Please? Please? Mm, no! Oh, but you must marry us, Princess Firefly. If you don't marry us... We'll cry. We'll cry. Mm, no! But bring to me the light of those stars above, and I will consider it. The light of the stars! We can do that! 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 So off flew Mosquito and Nat, trying to get the light of the stars for Princess Firefly, but it was much too high, 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 much too high. Just then, one of them spied an old farmhouse with a light shining from the kitchen window. Mmm, that would be a good light to bring to Princess Firefly. Let's check with our pro bus guy to see if we can fit through that screen. Mmm, 
The screen is too narrow. We'll have to force our way in. Ready? Attack. Attack. They hit against the screen. They, they walked against the screen. Yes, they couldn't fix the screen. They battered themselves against the screen. Miss your mosquito and Miss your gnat never returned. But the next night, where was Princess Firefly? Sitting on my blade of grass, looking up at the starry skies. <laughs> oh, I feel so lonely. I wonder why. No one ever seems to stay very long. Princess Firefly! Oh, it's Father. Yes, it is, Father. And I have brought for you several suitors. Well, actually, just one suitor, but he's a big one. It's this June bug here. A June bug? Oh, Father, that's almost as bad as a stink bug. Yes, my dear, but he is not a stink bug. Take a look. He's a wonderful specimen, a huge, robust, plant-eating beetle. I think this is it, dear. Say hello to her, Junebug. I said, say hello, Junebug. Junebug. The Junebug started pushing towards Princess Firefly and saying, Give me a hug, give me a hug, give me a kiss, give me a hug, give me a kiss. Ah, no! Give me a kiss then, give me a kiss, give me a hug, give me a kiss, give me a hug. Ah, no! But bring to me the light of the starry skies and um, I'll let you sit over there. So off went the June bug, sometimes flying, sometimes walking, but always pushing, trying to find the light of the stars for Princess Firefly. Just then, he saw a light coming from a crack under a door. He tried to fit under the door. He was trying to fit under the door. He couldn't quite fit under the door. He was trying to fit under the door, and he couldn't quite fit under the door. And suddenly somebody opened the door and... What a mess. The next night, where was Princess Firefly? Sitting on a blade of grass, looking up at the starry skies. Oh, oh if only I could marry a star, everything would be all right. Yes, that's it. I'll marry a star. I don't think that's unrealistic. Do you? It will be absolutely perfect. I'll make a wish upon a star to marry a star. And at the thought of that, she lit up like an incandescent bulb. Starlight. Star bright. First, second and third star I see tonight. I wish I may, I wish I might. And then that star she wished on grew bright. It flashed. 
flashed at me. Oh, I'm going to flashback. Flash. <gasps> flashback. Flash. I'm going to flashback. Flash. Flashback. Flash. Flashback. Flash. Flashback. Flash. Until there, sitting beside her on a blade of grass was a prince. Prince Firefly. That's the story of how the first fireflies met and came to be. They married and had tens, hundreds, thousands of children, and they named all the girl children. Princess Firefly, and even today, the granddaughters of Princess Firefly drive those other insects wild, and that's why every summer you'll see all those bugs crashing into window screens and zooming into campfires, trying to bring the light of the stars to the newest Princess Firefly. Princess Firefly here on the Appleseed, a story told for you by Diane Edgecombe from a collection of stories called Patisaurus and Other Tales. Now, the Patisaurus story, I think we mentioned to you, is a story about a little girl who turns into a dinosaur. And you can find that in a previous episode of The Appleseed. In fact, just go to byuradio.org slash Appleseed, and you'll find an archive of all of the episodes of this show, more than a thousand episodes and thousands of stories, uh, anytime you like. And you can take us with you on your mobile device. Go to that archive and enter the word Patisaurus, and you'll find that, Diane Edgecombe story. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with, well, a little song from naturalist and storyteller Doug Elliott. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a story called Princess Firefly, a story told for you by Diane Edgecombe. And we're just getting started. Bill Lepp is coming up in just a moment, and uh, Steve Otto is going to share an old chestnut with us that you may have heard before. And we're going to hear a story from Tim Lowry as well called Sodi Saluratus. But first, we thought we'd bring you a song. This is a song from uh, the naturalist and storyteller Doug Elliott. He's going to serenade us with a song about all the strange ways in which a fish can be cooked into everyday meals and even made into all kinds of everyday products. Some of these verses will make you cringe a little bit. But it's a song called Herring's Head, and it'll remind you of songs like, oh, I don't know, The Twelve Days of Christmas or the old lady who swallowed a fly, you know, these songs where you add something new every verse, but then have to go back and sing the rest of the song before you can go on. And some of these songs were work songs. This one, a song sung by fishermen who were engaged in the task of catching and cleaning herring. A song with harmonies for everybody to sing along, lots of verses and lots of singing to do as people contemplate all the things that can be done with a herring. Here's Doug Elliott with Herring's Head here on The Appleseed. Oh, 
what do we do with a herring's head? Oh, what do we do with a herring's head? We make them into loaves of bread. Herring's head, loaves of bread, and all manner of things. And of all the fish that swim in the sea, the herring is the one for me. How are you today? How are you today? How are you today, me any hole? Oh, what do we do with the herring's eyes? Oh, what do we do with the herring's eyes? We make them into puddings and pies. Herring's eyes, puddings and pies. Herring's head, loaves of bread and all manner of things. And of all the fish that swim in the sea, the herring is the one for me. How are you today? How are you today? How are you today, me any ho? Oh, what do we do with the herring's fins? Oh, what do we do with the herring's fins? We make them into needles and pins. Herring's fins, needles and pins. Herring's eyes, puddings and pies. Herring's head, loaves of bread and all manner of things. And of all the fish that swim in the sea, the herring is the one for me. How are you today? How are you today? How are you today, me any ho? Oh, what do we do with the herring scales? Oh, what do we do with the herring scales? We take them and we paint our nails. Herring scales, painted nails. Herring's fins, needles and pins. Herring's eyes, puddings and pies. Herring's head, loaves of bread and all manner of things. And of all the fish that swim in the sea, the herring is the one for me. How are you today? How are you today? How are you today, me any ho? Oh, what do you do with a herring's guts? Oh, what do you do with a herring's guts? We make them into a pair of boots. Herring's guts, a pair of boots. Herring scales, painted nails. Herring's fins, needles and pins. Herring's eyes, puddings and pies. Herring's head, loaves of bread and all manner of things. And of all the fish that swim in the sea, the herring is the one for me. How are you today? How are you today? How are you today, me any ho? Oh, what do you do with the herring's tails? Oh, what do you do with the herring's tails? We brew them into beer and ale. Herring's tail, beer and ale. Herring's guts, a pair of boots. Herring's scales, painted nails. Herring's fins, needles and pins. Herring's eyes, puddings and pies. Herring's head, loaves of bread and all manner of things. And of all the fish that swim in the sea, the herring is the one for me. How are you today? How are you today? How are you today, me any ho? There it is, Herring's Head, an old song sung by those who fish for and clean and prepare herring for market.
That song shared with you by Doug Elliott and friends, Doug Elliott, the naturalist and storyteller who has brought stories to the apple seed about groundhogs and fish and honeybees and more. And again, you can find a lot of those stories by visiting byuradio.org slash appleseed to find our archive of more than a thousand episodes of the show and thousands of stories and songs for your listening pleasure anytime you like. Now up next, we got a story from Bill Lepp, the great West Virginia tall tale teller. In fact, we didn't think we could properly do an episode of The Appleseed filled with outlandish, ludicrous, and unbelievable situations without including Bill Lepp in the show. This is from a collection of stories called Book Report. It was recorded live in the beautiful Mary B. Martin Storytelling Hall at uh, the International Storytelling Center in Jonesboro, Tennessee, Tennessee's oldest town and the home of the National Storytelling Fest. Here's Bill Lepp with a story called Pinewood Derby. Now, just the title itself ought to bring back all kinds of outlandish memories, especially if you've participated in that annual ritual, building cars to race with other kids on a long, sloping track. Here's the story from Bill Lepp. When I was a little kid, I was in the Cub Scouts. And it came time for our very last Pinewood Derby. Now, I have two older brothers. And so this was, uh, you know, when you make a Pinewood Derby car, if you're not familiar with the Cub Scouts and the Pinewood Derby, what happens is you get a block of wood that's about maybe six inches long, maybe two inches tall. It's got just a little tiny seat area cut out of it. And then pre-drilled are some... I don't know what you'd even call them, axle holes is the best way I can describe it. It comes with four wheels and four little aluminum nails, and you drive the nails, you put the nails through the wheels, and then you drive them into the little slots that are already pre-drilled. And then you're supposed to make a car out of that that you race against the other Cub Scouts in your pack and in your district if you move on from that. So your father, or whatever adult you have in your life, is allowed to help you make your car. Some fathers allow their kids to help them (laughs) make their cars. And my dad was one of those dads who let me help him make the car. My dad and Mr. Moriarty, uh, my, my good friend Mike's dad, would let us help. And by help, that meant that when Dad and Mr. Moriarty were in the workshop, me and Mike could go and watch Bugs Bunny cartoons on the television. Now, I'm, I had two older brothers, as I said, so in my last year at Cub Scouts, it was my last race, so if you include Weebelows, uh, my, both my brothers and myself had been in Cub Scouts for four years apiece. So this was my dad's 12th car. <laughs> and he never won, so he was desperate. So I got to help less than usual. And Mike Moriarty didn't have any brothers, so this was Mr. Moriarty's last chance to have a winning car, too. And they did, I mean, they did crazy stuff. My Uncle Bill worked at Union Carbide, and Mr. Moriarty and Dad would take their cars to Uncle Bill and have him put them in all these different scales and all these different scanners, put them in little wind tunnels that they had down there in the laboratories to see how the wind flowed. And Uncle Bill would tell them nonsense stuff, like, like you have to make sure that you paint the car from the front to the back, just having the brush strokes go that way, because if you paint it crosswise, then the wind will wave over. 
the brush strokes and that'll slow the car down. And my dad was of the theory that all the weight, the car could weigh five ounces. So once you shaved it all down with a pocket knife or a saw or whatever, what my dad and Mr. Moriarty would do would be drill holes in strategic places in the car. And then Michael and I, this is one thing we were allowed to do. My dad would cut uh, like a Campbell's soup can, cut the top half of it off, bend a little spout in it, hold it with a pair of pliers, drop in lead fishing weights, and then Mike and I could stand there like this close with a blowtorch and melt the fishing weights. (laughs) The lead fishing weights. We were this far away breathing in. It was really neat as the lead melted. And then they would drill holes in strategic places, or they would help us drill holes in strategic places in the bottom of the car, and we would pour the molten lead into the car until they weighed exactly five ounces. And on the day of the race, you'd show up and you'd put your car on a scale, and if it was too heavy, uh, you had to take a drill and drill some of the lead out. But my dad was of the belief that you should put all the weight at the front of the car, as much weight as possible, so that the weight will pull your car down the hill. Mr. Moriarty, I'm not sure where he got this theory, but his theory was that most of the weight should be at the back of the car and that it should be as high up as possible. So Mr. Moriarty built essentially like a radio tower on the back of (laughs) Michael's car and then put most of the weight on top of that radio tower. His theory was that if all the weight was in the back and it was high, then the car would think that it was supposed to fall over and that would cause the back end to push the front end faster down the track. And the car did think it was supposed to fall over. In fact, it didn't just think it was supposed to fall over. It got on the track. It did fall over. It broke in half, and the back end rolled down the track, not on its wheels, with its wheels up in the air, and the back half actually won the race. But (laughs) your car had to finish in the same direction that it started, and the whole thing had to cross together, and the other end never crossed the finish line at all. So that's what it was like. Now, Uncle Debo... Some of you know Uncle Debo. Uncle Debo was not our uncle. In fact, Uncle Debo was a year younger than we were. Uh, But Uncle Debo was the last and quite unexpected of 17 children. And so when he was born, his parents were tired, and they couldn't think of a name. So they just thought, we'll call him the boy until something better comes along. And then through the wonders of time and syllabic manipulation, the boy became the boy, which eventually became Debo. And then everybody called him uncle because as the last of 17 children, Uncle Debo had nieces and nephews who were quite a bit older than he was. So it wasn't uncommon to be walking down Main Street and hear some matronly niece yell out, Uncle Debo, you pull your pants up right now. And I'm going to tell Grandma. So everybody in town just called the poor kid Uncle. Now, Uncle Debo was, I don't know how many brothers he had, but his dad was done building Pinewood Derby cars. And Uncle Debo, I mean, that's the poor thing about this kid. He was a great kid, but he wasn't neglected, like, physically or emotionally. It's just that nobody cared anymore. So he just didn't learn all of the things that you're supposed to learn. For example, uh, one of the very first times we ever went camping as Cub Scouts, it was cold. And I guess it was the first, this is a little bit undelicate, but we'll work through it. I guess it was the first time that Uncle Debo had ever tinkled outside in the cold. And if you don't know, when you tinkle outside in the cold, your tinkle is warmer than the air. And so you get steam or, or at least, you know, uh, water vapor that comes. To, and so Uncle Debo thought that he was on fire. <laughs> inside and my dad told him well you must be a dragon and so then he was happy 
So he went from thought he was going to die to believing he was a dragon. Uh, and then we had a guy in town named Mr. Hammond. And Mr. Hammond, uh, this leg was way shorter than the other leg. Because when he was a little kid, he'd had polio. And so this leg had never grown out right. And the bottom of his shoe on that side, you know, was one of those super thick soles. And we didn't know what had happened to Mr. Hammond. And finally, Uncle Debo asked my dad one time, you know, why, why is Mr. Hammond's leg one leg shorter than the other? And dad gave one of those answers, one of those, you know, sort of uncareful answers that adults sometimes give children. Not that he was a dragon, because uh, dad, you know, meant to be messing with him then. Uh, but this time... <laughs> Sometimes when we're an adult and kids ask us questions, we give them an answer that assumes that they know all of the other information that we know. Like we just think, we take it for granted that they've had all the experiences we've had. So when dad, uh, when Uncle Debo asked dad what was wrong with Mr. Hammond, dad said, well, when he was a kid, he had polio. And Uncle Debo said, well, what's polio? And dad said, well, polio, you know, just when I was a kid, it was a disease. And sometimes you wake up and, and your legs just wouldn't work. <laughs> so that's what we thought polio was. We just had this idea that one day you'd wake up and your legs wouldn't work and you'd have polio. So <laughs> on that same camp out where Uncle Debo thought he was a dragon, uh, during the night, we had set up our pup tents ourselves. Of course, this was a long time ago when tents didn't have the, the poles that had the elastic bands in them and you could just whoosh, and then your pole was... No, you had to put them together yourself. <laughs> and, and tents had strings and you had to drive the, the tent pole or the pegs into the ground. And so we were eight setting up tents. Believe it or not... They probably weren't set up as well as they could have been set up. And Uncle Tebow was just in one of those little pup tents that just had a metal, you know, like an aluminum rod in the front and an aluminum rod in the back, and the rest of it was held up by ropes. Well, during the night, it snowed, and it was one of those really heavy snows that came down slowly, but came down until there was probably two feet of snow. And during the night, a lot of that snow had accumulated on the front of Uncle Debo's tent, and the rope, I guess, was weaker there. So during the night, very, 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 very slowly, the front half of Uncle Debo's tent had fallen all the way down, had two feet of snow on it. Well, it wasn't cold because he was insulated by two feet of snow. But when he woke up, it was dark in his tent and he couldn't move his legs. And we heard him yelling, Mr. Lab, Mr. Lab, I have polio. So, Uncle Debo showed up at the Pinewood Derby race. No one had helped poor Uncle Debo make his car. And so Uncle Debo showed up basically with just this block of wood with the nails uh, driven into the wheels haphazardly. Never did all four wheels touch the ground at the same time. Sometimes two on this side and not these two, and then it would rock over the other way. Uh, and it, someone had maybe taken a pocket knife or maybe had taken a fork and just shaved some of the car off, painted it, I think, with watercolors. That car... It didn't have any idea that it was a car. And it didn't know that it was supposed to win. And so it did. <laughs> it won everything. And then two or three weeks later, we had the rain, gotta, rain gutter regatta, and Uncle Debo entered the same vehicle, and it won that too. It was amazing. <laughs> My dad asked him how it felt. Said it felt better than waking up with polio. <laughs> My son's third year in Cub Scouts, which now is a long time ago, uh, I helped him make his car. 
and we won. And uh, I called my dad, and I said, Noah just won the Pinewood Derby. You should have let me help. <laughs> Bill Lepp with a story called Pinewood Derby. That's from a collection called Book Report, recorded live at the International Storytelling Center. A story, of course, that ought to resonate with just a few, as there are just a few out there who have uh, built Pinewood Derby cars, or at least assisted somewhat in the building of Pinewood Derby cars. I remember living in an area where there was a Cub Scout troop where they would have a Pinewood Derby for the Cub Scouts, and they weren't allowed to have their dad's help. But then they would have a special extra Pinewood Derby for cars made only by the dads. And that Pinewood Derby, as you can imagine, was its own kind of crazy. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with a story called Max and Margaret. Max wants to fly in an airplane worse than just about anything. It's an old story that's got a lot of versions, and maybe you've heard one or two of them. It's a joke, in fact, that we're going to tell you in just a moment. Right after a quick break, I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. It's all about unbelievable situations, tall tale kind of situations today. Before the break, you heard about Bill Lepp and the Pinewood Derby. At the top of the hour, you heard a story called Princess Firefly by Diane Edgecombe. And up next, you're going to hear a joke, really, from Steve Otto. You know this about jokes. You can either tell the short version of the joke, which is mostly punchline, or you can tell the long version of the joke that's mostly story. Well, that latter route is the route that Steve Otto goes with this old story. Maybe you've heard this joke before. It's from a collection called Potpourri, and it's a story called Max and Margaret. And in this story, Max wants desperately to ride in an airplane. His wife, Margaret, however, wants desperately for him to join her at the state fair instead. After all, an airplane ride is just too darned expensive. Ten bucks is ten bucks. Here's the story. Steve Otto with it on the Appleseed. Max and Margaret loved the county fair. There was just nothing better than going to the county fair. So you, you can just imagine how excited they were when they saw the first poster of the year and it said, County Fair's a-coming! And down at the bottom of that poster, there, there was something new. It said, airplane rides, five dollars. Oh, oh, Max would love to take an airplane ride. Max had never taken an airplane ride before. Max had never even seen an airplane before. And and he just turned to Margaret and he said, Oh, Margaret, Margaret, can't we please take an airplane ride? Airplane ride? Airplane ride? No, we can't take no airplane ride. Why, it says $5 each. And why, that'd be uh, $10. And $10 is ten dollars. 
Well, Max, he'd been married a long time, and he knew he didn't fight City Hall. And so he waited, and the first morning of the county fair, Max and Margaret, they walked up to the county fair, and there was this big sign that said, County fair this away, airplane rides that away. And Margaret went this away, and Max went that away. He went down to that airplane place, and he leaned on the fence, and he waited. He saw it coming. It was just a little dot at first, and then it got bigger and bigger, and he could see it, and he could hear that motor, and it it circled around, and it landed. Oh, it was the best thing Max had ever seen in his life. Oh, it was yellow, and it had two wings, one on top of the other, and a big cockpit in the back for the passengers, and a little bitty cockpit up front for the pilot, and, and oh, the People began getting on that plane to take a ride. And they'd take that ride and they'd get off and they'd be laughing and smiling. And old Max wanted to take a ride so bad. But that night, that night, Margaret came back and she was fit to be tied. You dead burn fool! You missed the whole day at the county fair. You missed the sheep show. They had the best you, you ever saw. Oh, Margaret. Margaret, it looks like so much fun. Couldn't we please take an airplane ride? No, we can't take no airplane ride. You'd miss more of the county fair. And besides... Ten dollars is ten dollars. Well, that's the way it went for the entire fair. Margaret would go to the fair. Max would go and watch the airplanes. Until the last day of the fair, and Max hadn't seen anything of the fair Margaret came down the trail, and there was fire in her eyes. You dead burn fool, you did it. I told you you was going to do it. You did it. You missed the entire fair watching that dead burn airplane. Margaret, Margaret, it's the last day. Margaret, couldn't we please take an airplane ride? No, we can't take no airplane ride. Like I told you, ten dollars is ten dollars. Well, the pilot, the pilot didn't have any passengers at that last day. And he'd watched Max standing by the fence for the last week. And he ambled on over to Max, and he said, Say, (laughs) I've been watching you. You'd like to take an airplane.
plane ride, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, I'd love to take an airplane ride. Well, will I tell you what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you and the missus a free airplane ride. I'm going to give you all a free airplane ride. Iffin, iffin you don't talk during the ride. Oh, oh, we wouldn't talk anything, would we, Margaret? No, sirree, no, not for a free ride, no. We wouldn't say our lips are zipped. <laughs> well, I guess as long as it's free. And Max and Margaret climbed into the back cockpit of that airplane. The pilot, he jumped in up front, and he took off, and it was better than Max had ever imagined. Those green, green hills just went on and on forever. And those white, puffy little clouds, they were whiter than he could have ever imagined, and the sky was bluer. Oh, it was the best thing he'd ever done in his life. Until... Until that pilot put that plane in a real steep climb. And the plane went straight up, and Max's stomach stayed right where it was. He went up, he went down, he spun, he twisted, he turned, he rolled, he was up, he was down, he was around, and he finished up in a grave. Big loop. And he landed. He jumped out of that cockpit, ran back to the back. He said, Say, say, you know you got yourself a free ride. I thought sure you were going to talk when I went into all of those aerobatics, but you never said a word. You won yourself a free ride. Well, sir, <laughs> well, sir, you know, I almost did talk once. You know, when you went into that great big, when Margaret fell out. But then, ten dollars is ten dollars. <laughs> Max and Margaret. Oh, that old joke. A real groaner, for sure. But again, you can either take the short route to the end of the joke, which is mostly punchline, or you can take the long route to the end of a joke, which is mostly story. We'll take the long route, if you don't mind. Coming up next, we've got a story called Sodi Saluratus. This is a story told by Tim Lowry. It's an old Appalachian tale. We've played versions of this story by great storytellers like Ed Stivender and Donna Washington. This one from the great South Carolina storyteller Tim Lowry. Now, Tim tells stories from all over the world, but a lot of his favorites are stories from right around the 
place where he was raised. Like this one, A Tall Tale. Again, it's called Sodisaluratus. Don't know what Sodisaluratus is? Well, Tim may explain. Here's Tim Lowry on the Appleseed. Once they was this little old mammy and this little old pappy, and they had two little old youngins. They had a real purty girl and a feisty little boy. Besides them two children of theirn, they had a pet squirrel. And that squirrel would run back and forth on the shelf above the fireplace and was real entertaining to the whole family, a chattering and a frisking his tail. One night, the mammy said to the rest of the family, I think I'm going to make us some biscuits for our supper. So she reached down in her pocket and took out some money and handed it to that feisty little boy. And she said, I need you to run to the store and get me some sody. Get me a box of sody saluratus and come right back here with it just as quick as you can. I need it to bake up them biscuits. Long time back, folks called baking soda sody saluratus. So that little boy, he took the money and he lit out down the road going just as fast as he could. Whippity cut, whippity cut, whippity cut, whippity cut, whippity cut. He run into the store, slapped the money down, and the store man sold him a box of sody, and then he started for home. Whippity cut, whippity cut, whippity cut, whippity cut. Now when he was on his way for home, he come across a big old humpback bridge over the river there, and there's a great big old black bear had denned up under that bridge. And that boy had no way of knowing that bear was there, and when he went whippity cutting across the top of that bridge, that bear rolled out from underneath that bridge and said, I heard you whippity cutting across the top of my bridge. I'm going to eat you up, you and your sody saluratus. Well, back to the house. That mammy and that pappy and that pretty little girl and that little pet squirrel of theirn, they's all waiting on that feisty boy to come home with that sody. But he never did come. And that mama said, Now look at that. I bet you he stopped off to the side of the road to play. Now I'm going to have to send his sister to fetch him home. Come here, little girl. I want you to run to the store and find your brother and fetch him home right now because I need that soda so I can bake up them biscuits for our supper. So that little girl, she lit out down the road looking for her brother. She was wearing her dancing shoes. She's going tip-de-tap, 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 tip-de-tap. She tip-tapped right into the store, and she asked that store man the whereabouts of her brother. And that store man said, yeah, he come in here about a half hour ago. I sold him a box of sody. You don't reckon he stopped off to the side of the road to play? Well, she's going to find out. She lit out down the road, tip-de-tap, tip-de-tap, tip-de-tap. She tip-tapped right across that big old humpback bridge over the river, and that black bear rolled out from underneath it and said, Ah, heard you tip-tapping across the top of my bridge. I done ate up your brother, him and that box of sody saluratus. I'm going to eat you too. Back to the house. That mammy was a-sitting in a rocking chair. And that pappy was sitting across from her on a rocking chair. They was both watching that squirrel running back and forth on that shelf over the fireplace. And finally that mammy looked at the pappy and she said, Do you reckon? And the pappy said, Yep, I reckon. Both of them young'uns have stopped off to the side of the road to play. Well, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to dust somebody's britches, said the mammy, and she walked out and broke off a switch from a nearby tree, and she started off down the road, just full of righteous indignation. Switchity-switch, 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 switchity-switch. When she got to the store, 
She asked that store man about them two youngins of hern, and he said, Oh, yeah, they done both been in here. That's well nigh on to an hour ago. I sold that boy a yearn some sody salad ratus. You don't reckon they both stopped off to the side of the road to play? Oh, she's going to find out. She started off down the road, switchy switch, switchy switch, switchy switch, switchy switch. She switched right to the top of that humpback bridge, and that big old black bear rolled out from underneath that bridge and said, Bah! I heard you switchy switching across the top of my bridge. I done et up your purty little girl, and I et up that feisty boy, him and his sody Sally Radis, and I'm going to eat you too. Well, back to the house, there was that pappy. He is a-waiting on the mammy to fetch them two youngins home. He's a-sitting there watching that squirrel run back and forth on the shelf above the fireplace. After a while, he got tired of waiting. So he got up, got his walking stick, and he started off down the road. Hunchity-womp, 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 hunchity-womp. He hunched and whomped right into the store and asked that store man about his family. And that store man said... Oh, yeah, they all been in here, your wife come in here, and that little girl, and that boy. I sold him a box of sody Sally Radis, that was well nigh on to an hour and a half ago. You don't reckon they all stopped off to the side of the road to play? Well, he's going to find out. He lit out down the road, hunchity-womp, 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 hunchity-womp. He hunched and walked to the top of that big old bridge, and the bear come out and said, I heard you hunched womping across the top of my bridge. I done et up your old woman, and I et up that purty girl, and I et up your feisty boy, him and his sody Sally Radis, and I'm going to eat you too. Now there wasn't nobody left at the house except that squirrel. So that squirrel, he skittered off the shelf above the fireplace, and he run out the door. And his tail a-frisking along behind him, he run off looking for all the family. Frisky frisk, frisky frisk, frisky frisk, frisky frisk. He come to the store and he jumped up on the counter and he asked that store man. Yeah, they all done been in here. Yeah, that old man and his woman and that girl and the boy. Ah, you welcome. And then that squirrel, he fristy frisk, fristy frisk, fristy frisk out the store and up the road and across that big old humpback bridge. And that old bear said, Bleh! but when that bear jumped that squirrel, the squirrel took a flying leap and jumped from the bridge over to the side of a big old oak tree. And he skittered up to that top of that tree. Well, that big old bear said, mm-hmm. I done add up the old man and I add up the old woman and I add up their purty girl and I add up that feisty boy, him and his sody salaratus, and I'm going to eat you too. And that bear started to climb up the side of that oak tree. And that squirrel skittered out on a limb and that bear come out on a limb after him. And then that squirrel run right out to the edge of that oak limb and took a jump over into a tree on the other side of the road. That bear said, well, if you can jump across to another tree on them little legs, I know I can do it on my great biggins. And when the bear jumped, he missed the next limb and he come right down in the middle of the road. Kawomp! And that sody saleratus had bloated him up so he busted wide open. And out come the pappy and the mammy. And the girl and the boy, him in that box of sody Sally Radis, 
The squirrel led them all home, and that mama baked up biscuits with the sodi saleratus, and when they sat down to eat them, she broke off pieces for that squirrel, and that squirrel ate two biscuits before he was full up. And that's the end of that. Sodi Saluratus, a story told for you by Tim Lowry, the great South Carolina storyteller, wrapping up an hour filled with stories about outlandish, ludicrous, and unbelievable situations. In fact, situations so outlandish, ludicrous, and unbelievable that all you can do is laugh. You heard that story from Tim Lowry, but you also heard a story from Steve Otto, a story called Max and Margaret, really a joke more than anything. And before that, you heard a story about the Pinewood Derby, told by Bill Lepp. Maybe that brought back a memory or two for you that you can share around the kitchen table or around the living room. You also heard a story from Diane Edgecombe called Princess Firefly, and you heard a song called Herring's Head from naturalist and storyteller Doug Elliott. I'm Sam Payne. It's been such a pleasure for me to be with you. This hour was written by Isabo Ng, our audio engineer Stuart Foster, our producer Jeff Simpson. And we'll see you next time on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.